Hello, this is Pizzicato Ost, and I am Leo Javetsky. It is exciting to see new subscribers to the podcast. It um, really inspires to continue with new episodes, and we're very happy to see interest and are grateful to our audience for their time and attention. Um, we have come to realize that it makes no sense to divide the episodes to recommended recordings and recommended pieces. I don't think anyone really got into that. So in the future, this would be more mixed and uh, won't concentrate on, on specifics like that. Um, and there's another thing that I think is um, appropriate to announce before we get to the actual topic. Um, the thing is, um, classical music is very dynamic in terms of volume. This is um, something quite exciting when you sit at a concert hall and the music piece goes from fortissimo to pianissimo and back within, within the minute. Um, when we listen to it at home... And it's also paired with spoken commentary, like in a podcast. Um, parts of the music might be heard not well enough. And um, this is why I actually would very much recommend to listen to the podcast with headphones. Um, that was just my two cents before we start our um, actual program. And now, in our seventh episode, we cross the borders of Russia and go westwards. Not too far west if we take the nationality of the composer, but uh, quite far if we consider where the work um, has been composed, and kind of halfway if we look at where it was first performed. Okay, I've caused... Uh, Lots of confusion now, uh, but here's the time to finally announce today's recommended piece. Antonin Dvořák, Cello Concerto in B minor, opus 104. Let's um, say a few words about Dvořák, not going too deep into biography. I'm sure we'll be back with other works of this composer in the future, and uh, we'll talk a bit more about him. So Dvořák was born in 1841 and died in 1904. This is just to give you a timeline. After Smetana, some 15 years older than him, Dvořák is chronologically the second great Czech composer. Um, and there's already too much talking and no music. So um, let us play for you the undoubtedly most famous piece by Smetana, who's the father of the Czech National Music School. Um, the piece is called The Moldau from uh, the symphonic poem My Homeland. Or if we want to be closer to the original, we should say, let's hear Vltava from the symphonic poem Mavlast. Thank 
This was the first part of the Moldau, played by the Czech Philharmonic Orchestra under Václav Talich in 1959. So our piece, the Dvořák Cello Concerto, is composed in 1894, when the author is an established, world-famous, beloved musician in the very active age of 53, since first winning the Austrian State Prize for Composition in 1847, and with the support from his senior colleague Johannes Brahms, um, Dvořák has made himself this big name in Europe. The main big work of that time was a symphonic cycle called Slavonic Dances, Opus 46. <laughs>
This was the Furiant, the last number of um, Dvořák's Symphonic Dances, Opus 46, number 8, wonderfully played by the Cleveland Orchestra under Christoph von Dohnani. Um, this work really launched the composer's big international career. Um, now he performs... Um, conducting his works everywhere, Berlin, London, Vienna, St. Petersburg. In um, 1892, being one of the most successful musicians in Europe, Dvořák accepts the invitation to become director of National Conservatory of Music of America in New York. This um, comes from Jeanette Turber, founder of the conservatory and well-known American philanthropist, wife of the millionaire grocery wholesaler Francis Beattie Thurber. The conservatory was an extremely innovative institution based in the Lower East Side in Manhattan. Among other innovations, um, it took on female and black students. Um, now, Dvořák accepts the invitation with a tremendous yearly salary of $15,000. This is around half a million dollars in 2021. Such financial wonders don't last too long. And two years later, in 1894, the salary gets cut by almost half, down to 8000 And even that is paid unregularly. Still, between 1892 and 1895, when he decides to go back to Europe, in his American years, Dvořák composes some of the most performed and beloved works the Symphony from the New World, the Cello Concerto, and the American String Quartet. Let's uh, listen to a movement from Dvořák's most popular work, the Symphony Number no. 9 from the New World. Um, a recording of this piece was also the first ever to get to the moon on board the Apollo 11 in 1969. Um, you may also find this uh, piece called Symphony Number no. 5 um, because there were different numerations, but um, I'll get to, uh, to it when we um, discuss this piece uh, another day. <laughs> Thank you. 
This was the third movement, the scherzo, from Dvorak's Ninth Symphony from the New World, composed in 1893, just before the cello concerto, and premiered the same year at Carnegie Hall. And um, this was taken from my favorite recording of the symphony from 1972 with the Berlin Philharmonic under Raphael Kubelik. By the way, um, the recording was made at the beautiful Jesus Christus Kirche in Berlin's Dahlem, built in uh, 1932 in the modernist style. If you're ever in Dahlem, um, just check it out. Now, um, let us focus more on the cello concerto. In 1865, early in his career, um, Dvořák had already started a cello concerto, an A major, but this was only partially finished and left on the shelf, only to be rediscovered as late as uh, the mid-1920s, some two decades after the composer died. It's said that uh, Dvořák didn't really consider the cello to be a solo concerto instrument. He was fond of the middle register, but had complaints about the nasal high register and the sort of a mumbling bass. Nevertheless, in his American period, following multiple requests for a concerto, he comes up with a score of the new piece. Now, uh, some sources say that Dvořák had heard a few performances of the second cello concerto by American composer Victor Herbert, who was also teaching at the conservatory at the same time. Herbert was mostly a Broadway composer, who had a lot to do with the famous uh, Siegfeld Follies. It's interesting to know that uh, Herbert had been principal cellist in the orchestra that premiered Dvořák's New World Symphony at Carnegie Hall. Now, Herbert is a name largely forgotten in the world of classical music, especially in Europe. However, there's a uh, few recordings and um, here's the wonderful Lynn Harrell playing the second movement of Victor Herbert's second cello concerto with the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields under Neville Marner.
This um, middle movement of the Victor Herbert second cello concerto we've just heard was in B minor and may have inspired Dvořák to write his concerto in the same key. Now, a great influence on Dvořák's decision to compose a cello concerto was his friend, uh, the Czech cellist Hanusz Vihan. After seeing the score, um, Vihan made various suggestions for improvement, including implementing two cadenzas. But uh, Dvořák accepted only a few minor changes in neither of these cadenzas. After this incident, Dvořák writes to his publishers, saying that he's ready to give them the work, provided that no one not even his friend Vihan, shall make any alterations in it without his knowledge and permission. Hanush Vihan um, was also a well-known chamber ensemble player and a member of the famous Bohemian Quartet. They'd given first performances of many great pieces, including the second string quartet by Janacek, this is the third big Czech classic. And here is the third movement of the quartet, played by the Emerson Quartet. Thank you. 
This was the Emerson Quartet playing the third movement of Leos Janacek's second string quartet called Intimate Letters. I know the, the word quartet has repeated a few times in this sentence, but um, I couldn't go without it. Um, this piece was composed in 1923 on request of the Bohemian Quartet. The name Intimate Letters was given by the composer as the piece was inspired by his long and spiritual friendship with uh, Kamila Stoslova, a married woman who was 38 years younger than him. Now back to Vojak um, and Vihan. So Hanusz Vihan was actually the first to perform the concerto privately for Dvořák in September 1895. And uh, it was the intention that he play the first public performance. But um, in the end of the 19th century, the um, classical music business was already quite international and star musicians were booked long in advance and contracts had to be respected. So um, the secretary of the London Philharmonic Society invites Dvořák to conduct a concert of some of his works in London. 
and um, the composer agrees and proposes to conduct the premiere of his cello concerto. However, there's a uh, date clash, as it often happens in the business. Um, now, the main version is that uh, Vihan was supposed to perform on that the date that was set with the London Philharmonic um, with his string quartet. And the combination did not work and any other options didn't work. So eventually it's been decided that the concerto was to be played by Leo Stern, who um, specifically traveled to Prague to rehearse the piece with Dvořák. Um, however, there's another version um, that um, was um, stated by our contemporary cellist Stephen Isserlis, and um, the version goes that Leo Stern gave Dvořák, who was a big uh, collector of pigeons, uh, two rare birds, and thus became the first performer of the uh, new piece. In any case, the premiere of the cello concerto took place on March 19th, 1895, in Queen's Hall in London. The hall no longer exists, unfortunately, after having been destroyed during the, um, during the war and the London Blitz bombings in 1941. Um, the cello that was played by Stern was a Stradivarius made in 1684. And uh, the instrument currently belongs to the Los Angeles Philharmonic, and is valued at around 9 million euros. Okay, let's move from the historical part to the musical material. Um, in the first movement, we have two themes. The first is introduced softly by the clarinets and goes through the entire orchestra and becomes more grand.
this uh, theme will be played in various forms throughout the movement. And um, then in the end of the third movement, it will reappear and give us this cyclic structure feeling. And now we have approached the second lyrical theme that is introduced by the horn solo. After a uh, short presentation of the themes of the movement, the solo cello enters with one of the most intense and memorable first lines, I think, in, in all concerto repertoire. It sounds a bit like an improvisation on the main theme with these triple-stopped chords. Um, it takes a theme first in B major and then modulates into E major. After this powerful entry statement, we go on and on with beautiful passages on the cello with lush orchestral support. Um, 
And later on, we get in a modulation to E flat minor. said here. Um, this requires a lot of technical ability, especially these octave movements you've just heard. first movement ends after the solo cellos trills on a high B and the tutti with a restatement of the first theme marked in the score grandioso and fortissimo. Following comes a lengthy adagio, a lyrical second movement of the concerto.
This um, second slow movement features a cadenza-like section, which is accompanied mainly by flutes. The cello plays quite tricky double stops, accompanied by left-hand pizzicato, super hard stuff. The movement ends with the cello playing harmonics very quietly.
Slowly, we've reached the final movement. This opens with the horn playing the main theme quietly. Then a gradual crescendo leads into a dramatic woodwinds and strings section. the solo cello playing the modified theme followed by the orchestra playing the new modified theme again the cello enters with a melody with um, very short and fast 30-second notes. Last section leads us into a section marked poco meno mosso, a little less rapid, dolce and piano.
Now a crescendo and accelerando leads into a fast scale and a loud tutti section presenting new material. was a tribute to Dvořák's sister-in-law, Josefina, who had written him a letter in November 1894 saying she was seriously ill. Specifically, the slow, wistful section before the triumphant ending quotes a song of Dvořák's, Leave Me Alone. Uh, this is uh, Opus 82, number one. And uh, this song was a special favorite of Josefina. Um, she died in May 1895, after which the concerto um, got further revisions. But nonetheless, the finale is a joyful, high-spirited, full orchestral blast. Um, said that um, Brahms, a friend and a mentor of Dvořák, commented on the cello concerto like this, I quote, 
If I'd known that it was possible to compose such a concerto for the cello, I would have tried it myself. End quote. All of the bits of the concerto we were playing in this episode come from one recording that turns 50 this year. It's the wonderful uh, Jacqueline Dupré, age 26 at the time, with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra under Daniel Barenboim. Dupré is an artist of great power and musicality, but also of tragic fate. At the age of 28, she had to stop her career due to multiple sclerosis, a disease she was to struggle for further 14 years of her life. The love story between her and Daniel Barenboim is also quite fascinating. Um, for him, she'd converted to Judaism, and their marriage was uh, concluded at the Western Wall in Jerusalem after a tour of concerts that the couple had given for Israeli troops uh, during the Six-Day War in 1967. Now, the Dvořák Cello Concerto has been recorded nearly by every well-known cellist. I uh, will recommend a further three, and for each, I'll play the very beginning of the solo cello part to give you an idea of these great musicians and just how they sound. So first up is Pablo Casals on a recording with the Czech Philharmonic under George Sell from 1937. So, yes, it is a Spanish cellist, a German-American conductor, a Czech orchestra playing in Prague in 1937. Casals' approach was described as seemingly played with a sword rather than a bow. Russian cellist Mstislav Rostropovich made four commercial recordings of the piece on Western labels. This is from the one with Carlo Maria Giulini 
and the London Philharmonic for EMI in 1971. You will hear that this recording is much more melancholy, slow, and pensative. Finally, the third recommended recording is um, the cellist Yo-Yo Ma playing with the Berlin Philharmonic under uh, Lauren Mazel. This is a recording from 1986. Yo-Yo Ma also recorded um, two more versions later. Um, and I think this, this recording, well, A, it gives you much more sound quality um, B, it gives you a very responsive modern Berlin Philharmonic and some very fragile, soulful playing of the cello in the hands of uh, Yo-Yo Ma. Thank you. 
this was all we had to say today about Dvořák's cello concerto. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Um, we would be very grateful for likes, shares, comments, and questions from you. Anything that could make the program better and also get it a bit more heard. We will be back with more music soon. And for now, bye-bye.